So today um, we are in the book of Mark and we are in chapter six and we come to, uh, I'm just going to call it a challenging passage. It's challenging for a couple of reasons, or at least it was challenging for me as a, as a preacher for a couple of reasons. The first is this. This is actually the first time in all of the Gospel of Mark, and it might actually be the only time in all of the Gospel of Mark, where the focus is not on Jesus. We're going to find that. And what's kind of challenging about this is um, there's no explicit teaching in this passage. So many of the other passages, Jesus does something that demands kind of a, a, a word for us to hear, or he teaches something that demands a word for us to apply to our life. There's really, there's no teaching here. It's this story that starts bad and ends worse. Um, and it's a story about sin. And really, this, this message is about sin. And, and I get it. All of you are driving to work or driving to church this morning and and you probably looked at your spouse and said, you know what I want to hear a sermon about? I want to hear a sermon about sin. Anybody? Anybody did that? Okay. Only our worship leader would do that. Um, starting with this story that I heard some time ago that really kind of resonated with me and just the power that sin can have when it's left unconfessed. So, um, true story. I remember hearing this. It was a story of um, this man. He was an adult, um, and he was driving. It was dark out, and as he was driving, he accidentally hit a pedestrian. And he gets out of his car, realizes the pedestrian is unconscious, and he has a decision, right? He is deeply convicted in this moment. How many of you have ever been convicted that you've done something wrong? Yeah? Okay? It, it doesn't take hitting someone with a car to feel conviction, right? I say that jokingly, but I also say that quite seriously. You, you, you yell at your kid when there's no reason for it, and you feel a sense of conviction. Or you are unethical in this really gray area way in work, and you feel conviction. We, we feel conviction for all kinds of things that are far less than hitting somebody with a car. So he feels this deep sense of conviction. Like, listen, he knows what he should do, right? You know what he should do, right? But he gets in his car and he drives off. They later find the man. He didn't make it. He passed away. And wouldn't you know, they were able to put things together and figure out what car hit him. And they found the man. They arrested him and sentenced him to prison. Now, I don't remember exactly how long his prison sentence was, but as he was in prison, there was uh, this major kind of news story that they ran on this man and what had happened. And as they were you know, going through this story, they interviewed him and they asked him this question, probably the question you might be wanting to ask him. Why'd you do it? Like, why? It was an accident. Why did you run when you knew it was wrong, when you were convicted that it was wrong? And you know what this man said? 
said, here's why I did it. He said, let me tell you a story when I was nine years old. My dad had this watch collection in his room. And one time I went and I, I played with one of his watches. And as I was playing with it, it dropped to the ground and it, it broke. Part of it broke. And so I put it back. And I knew that I should tell somebody, but I didn't. And my dad found it. And obviously, dad was not quite happy about this. He called his kids in. He had more than one kid. He called his kids in and he said, who did this? And his sister said, it wasn't me. And you know what he said? It wasn't me. And he told the reporter, that's why I got in my car and I ran. Because when I was nine years old, I was convicted of something that I did was wrong. I had multiple opportunities to confess and I didn't and I got away with it. And so I just kind of kept doing it until I got to this point and I finally got this passage that we're going to look at, it's about what happens when you're convicted of sin and fail to confess your sin. But it's also about what happens when you're convicted of sin and you, you do confess your sin. And there's a sense in which I think this, this message can be a little bit heavy because anytime we talk about sin, there's some heaviness to it. But to talk about the heaviness of sin is to talk about the heaviness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To talk about the power of sin is to also talk about the power of Jesus Christ. To talk about the conviction of sin is to also talk about the freedom that is found in confessing your sin to Jesus. And so here we're going to look at this passage. Jesus is not the focus. A man named King Herod is the focus. And it teaches something about conviction of sin and confession of sin. So if you have your Bibles, whether you've got the hard copy or maybe you've got the digital version, we accept both here. Um, this is Mark chapter 6. I'm going to step back a little bit. I'm going to be sweating here. I'm going to be like one of those southern preachers. Or like Jake, our worship leader, and just like pouring down sweat here. It's going to get real. So here's what Mark writes. He says, hey, King Herod heard of it. Heard of what? I think we'll point this out at the end of the message. Mark has just gotten done. Well, he's actually not just gotten done. He's actually in the middle of telling a story about Jesus sending out the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. And as they go out, they, they command and call people, hey, repent because the kingdom of God is coming. Repent and prepare yourself for the good news of Jesus. And so Jesus sends out his 12 to proclaim that. And what happens is people repent and all kinds of miracles and all kinds of life comes about. And Herod hears about this. He hears about this preacher, this prophet, this man that is clearly of God. And he hears about this, this Jesus. 
And so that's what it says when Herod heard of it. For Jesus' name had become known. Jesus is starting to get famous. People are recognizing him. Some, um, well, now this is the danger of preaching outside. Things like this, okay? This is why people do digital versions. They don't wander in the wind. Some said, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, no, he, this, this Jesus, he must be Elijah. And the others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Now, just pause there for a moment. I just want to acknowledge Herod, who is, we're going to learn more about him. He's the king in this area, this jurisdiction. Did you hear what he believes? He actually believes that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. You know what that tells me about Herod? This is a man of faith. His faith not, may not be accurate about God, but he has some sort of faith in God, right? He recognizes that this Jesus must be from God. Whether he's the son of God or John the Baptist raised from the dead, he can't quite clarify. But he is at least the spiritual person. And then what happens here in verse 17 is we get a flashback. You ever watched a movie? It's like in present day. And then all of a sudden there's this scene and it shifts to the past like three months ago, a year ago, six months ago. That, that's what's happening here. It's a flashback of what happened between Herod and John. And listen to what it says. It says, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Okay, follow me here. Herod has a brother, a half-brother named Philip. Philip is married to a young woman named Herodias. Herod goes and visits his brother. You ever, you know, visited your brother, family vacation? Maybe it's Christmas time. Maybe they're celebrating someone's birthday. And Herod meets his brother. Check it. His brother's wife. Herod's already married, by the way. And says, ooh, I like this Herodias. And Herodias says, ooh, I like this Herod, even though I'm married to his brother. And so Herod divorces his wife and runs off with his sister in law. You guys ever remember the show Jerry Springer? <laughs> Me neither. I never watched it. I don't care what you say. Jerry Springer, Ricky Lake, like all of those talk shows where their whole goal is how do we how do we find the greatest family dysfunction and make it public television for people to see? This would be on an episode of Jerry Springer. And you're going to watch the, like listen, you're going to this is just the beginning of the story. It's going to get way worse. So John the Baptist, he hears about this. And John the Baptist, who is this prophet, who is this man whose whole goal is to prepare the way for Jesus, to point people to Jesus, to help people's hearts prepare for Jesus. And John the Baptist sees this and he calls out the sin. And so listen to what happens. It says, 
For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias, that's the young woman, had a grudge against John and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and unholy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. You know, I can't help but make this observation. Um, John the Baptist sees this egregious sin in his political leader, and he does not remain silent. And I, I, I'm, I wrestle with that. I wrestle with that because I don't think I need to give you examples that we live in a, a culture where we have political leaders who, who lead from egregious sin. And there's always, a, I want to do a sermon series on this next political season, like a year and a half from now, um, you know, we either are going to grow by twice as much or lose, you know, twice as many people. It's always so dangerous to preach on these things. And I don't want to preach on them because it's like hot topics. Let's talk about this. I want to preach about it because I, I, I feel like how do we be a faithful follower of Jesus in the kingdom of God when we live in the kingdom of the United States. Like right now, there's this bill um, in, uh, I don't know, technically a bill. I need to get my terms all correct here. But in the Washington state, they, they have this new law that um, Jay Inslee put in to place that's supposed to, I think, kick off here in a couple of weeks. But it's this law that says, hey, if your kid um, I think it's ages 12 to 18. Please read more about it. But it's this law that says, hey, if your child says, you know what? I, I though I am biologically a male, I, I want to transition and be a female. And I want to take these drugs um, and, and take these different things to move that along. The state says, OK, we will give you safety from your parents and we will come to us. And we will give you safety from your parents so that you can get this treatment. And I want to remind us that God created you in the image of him. Male and female, he made you. And I'm not, I, listen, I'm not going to be up here rallying and just saying, you need to vote this way and you need to vote that way. I I. I I'm not sure that's necessarily the right route to take, but I do want to say this, that God gives us clarity from his word on what living in his kingdom looks like. And there are moments where our culture can sometimes reflect that. But then there are several moments where our culture or our political leaders or certain laws get put into place that go against that. And we as Christians, we ought to find where our ground is there. And I don't think our ground is, you know, to get, you know, the big banners and, and, and say really nasty things on them as much as we just go, God's word does not stand for this. And that's not going to bring life. 
it's going to bring destruction. And I love that John has the courage to say something. And I want you to say his message is not a message of condemnation. It's a message of conviction. He just simply says to Herod and Herodias, this isn't right. He doesn't go, hey, listen, y'all going to go to hell, okay? No, he, he doesn't. He, this just isn't right. And we live in a unique moment of history where we can either be silent or we can speak up against sin. And my hope is that we would speak with a measure of grace, not a measure of condemnation. That we would speak with a measure of mercy. Let, let God convict the hearts. I'm going to stop there because I didn't even put any of that in my notes here. I could get an email this week. I might. But all's to say, um, we live in a moment as Christians where we have we ought to have the courage to speak. And when we speak, please don't speak condemningly. Speak compassionately. Side note, I just okay. Here's an example that I that that really frustrates me. Um, and I didn't call this person out because I didn't feel like we we're at good of a relationship. But there's kind of this neighbor that got into the we got into this conversation and, and and she is collecting signatures so that this measure I just talked about will be on a ballot. We can actually vote on whether we think kids should um, be able to be released from their parents to receive this kind of treatment. And she put it this way. She's like the the idiots that are running our state. And I just think like. I just don't think that's helpful. To, to call our leaders names. Jesus encourages us to pray for our leaders. And so I do think there is a way for us as followers of Jesus to speak the truth and yet walk in love. To speak the truth of the gospel and yet honor and respect people. A amen. Are, are we say amen? Okay. Amen if you want to hear sermon series on that in a year. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. I'll talk to Pastor John. <laughs> Side note. Sorry, guys. This is like, you know, grab a chair. Let's just chat here. Um, uh, about a year ago, so like we came together as one church. Many of you know that story. Um, we came together as one church, Foothill Baptist and the Mission Church. We came together as one. We were talking about what should we preach on. And last year was like... Uh, um, kind of the middle of the political uh, season. I think we're um, voting on certain things. I said, what if we did a sermon series on Christ and culture? And Pastor John's like, listen, we just came together as a church. Like, let's go for unity, not for, and I'm like, okay, there's some wisdom there. So, um, you know, write an email to Pastor John. <laughs> let's bring it. So I, I, I think we need it. I think we need it. Here's what I see in this passage that I just read here. Back to my notes. Two observations. Observation number one. Did you notice that Herodias, like, literally does not care about her sin? Herodias is 
it says held a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. She literally does not care that she's walking in sin. Do you care about your sin? I'm not talking about the just the outrageous, grievous sin of your life that people can easily point out and say, that's wrong. I'm talking about the sin that only you and God know about. Do you care about that? Part of me wonders if the reason why Herodias does not care about her sin is because her heart has just grown hard to it. So if I can be honest, I, I can remember a moment in my life, I had a man, his name's Tim Ebley. Um, he still mentors me today. I had I had lunch with him this week. Him and I meet more or less regularly. He, he mentors me. He disciples me. He's a spiritual father, probably one of the the greater, more influential spiritual fathers in my life. But um, about 15, 16 years ago, I'm meeting with him, and there was an area of sin I was walking in, and he called me out. And I looked at him and I said, that's no big deal. And he just looked at me and he's like, you are going to stand before God and say that that is truly okay? And I realized my heart had actually grown hard to that sin. I wonder if that's where Herodias is at. Our hearts can grow hard to the sin of selfishness. Our hearts can grow hard to the sin of pride. Our hearts can grow hard and blind to the sin of the love of money. I hope and I pray that we care about our sin. That we would be like David in Psalm 139 where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Like, literally, try me. Test me. And know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. You know what David had learned when he wrote that? He learned that he could walk in a sin in his heart, in a sin in his thoughts that nobody knew about, including himself. And so he's literally, he's begging God, God, convict me in my thoughts before it turns into action. Because, friends, that's what happens. That's what happens when you don't deal with your sin when it's in your heart. That's what happens when you don't deal with your sin when it's in your thoughts. It will lead to action. Care about your sin. Don't sweep it under the rug. But here's the thing that surprises me so much is, is Herod. He's the focal point of this whole entire story. What strikes me is Herod is deeply convicted of his sin. It says that he he knows that John is this righteous and holy man. In fact, he throws him in prison, one, to shut him up, 
so that the, the, the people would not hear John the Baptist, this prophet, speaking so bad about this political leader. So he throws him in prison, one, to kind of shut him up, but really he throws him in prison to protect him because his wife wants to kill him. But notice it says that he would bring John in. He'd go meet with John and listen to him. And it says that he was perplexed. The idea here behind this Greek word perplexed is like there was something happening in his heart. There was a conviction in his heart. I know that what I'm doing is wrong. And so here he is. He is convicted of his sin. But there is zero confession of sin. Is this an issue in your life? I found this to be a challenge in my own life, and I wonder if it's a challenge in your life too, where sometimes we think conviction of sin is the finish line. You ever listen to a sermon? Maybe not mine. Maybe Pastor John's sermon. You've listened to a sermon, and you are convicted. You're like, ooh, ah, that hit hard. Anybody? Okay. Oh, my gosh. Like six of you. That's really humbling. Okay. But seriously, you ever, like, listen, I want you to think about this. Have you ever listened to a sermon and you've been convicted like, ooh, that hit me? And then you did nothing. It was almost as if you got exactly what you hoped for. I really just needed to be convicted of that. Oh, conviction is not the finish line. We're going to find that confession isn't even the finish line. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that's the finish line. But point being here, we can be convicted of our sin, and that's not enough. In fact, we're going to read that conviction of sin without confession of sin always leads to chaos. But conviction of sin that leads to confession of sin leads to forgiveness and freedom in Christ. And so Mark tells us Herod is deeply convicted of his sin. He's perplexed. You know, this isn't right. But he fails to confess his sin. Let's read what happens next. Things are about ready to get real dark and really Jerry Springer-ish here. But an opportunity came. Did you notice that? An opportunity. Herodias sees this as an opportunity. When came, when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced. Okay. This is not like a ballerina dance. You, you, you got me here? So when kings like this of power and prestige, when they had parties, man, the alcohol was flowing liberally. Everybody was wasted. Everybody was. And then they would actually have these special dancers here. Not the dancers that do the ballerina. We're talking about the dancers that are topless, the dancers that you would find in the strip club. I hate to be that honest here. That's what's happening here. And Herodias has an idea. I'll send my daughter. 
I'm going to send my daughter in there and she's going to do the dance. Did this just take Jerry Springer level here? This is, I mean, this is the destruction of sin in our life, right? It leads to just some gross things left unconfessed. And so Herodias's daughter, this is King Herod's niece and stepdaughter. Do the math on that one. She comes and she dances this dance, this provocative dance. And she pleased Herod. So how disgusting is that? And his guests. And the king said to the girl, did you catch that? The girl, not a woman, a girl. Ask for me whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed her to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and she said to her mom, for what shall I ask? And she said, give me the head, John the Baptist. On a platter. And it says, and she came and the head of, she said, the head of John the Baptist. And it says, she said, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. When we leave sin unconfessed, sometimes we get to the point where it's just too late. You get to the point in your marriage where it's just too late. You get to the choke point in your parenting with your kids. You've just blown it so many times. Your kids just go, it's just too late. That's a really tough place to be. Now we're going to find that it's never too late for Christ to forgive you. But there are moments where it is too late for healing to happen. Or be able to go back and make it all right. And Herod is exceedingly sorry. Didn't want it to come to this. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter. And gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to his mother. When his disciples heard of it. They came and took his body. And laid it in a tomb. And the soul. You can see why this message. Is kind of a hard one to preach. End of story. Um, two observations. One is this. Conviction of sin without confession of sin. It's always going to lead to chaos in your life. Always. Conviction of your sin, unconfessed, always going to lead to chaos. Refusing to repent, just it's going to lead to ruin. I feel like I just can't say that enough. And then the second observation, if I can just zero even more in on the power and the destruction of sin, is notice that 
sin may sin may be personal, but it's never private. What I mean by that is we can think like, oh, this is just my sin. Just between me and God. Don't, don't worry about me. Don't get in my face about my sin. It's between me and God, and God will deal with me. And what we need to see is, no. This man's sin, Herod's sin, kills John the Baptist. And that's just, that's the ugliness. Of, you, you can see why God hates sin. Because, yes, it can destroy you, but it can also be a wrecking ball in your family, a wrecking ball in your friendships, a wrecking ball in the workplace, a wrecking ball to just random people who don't even know you. What's the good news here? That, I mean, I, I literally wrote in my notes, it says, he went and beheaded him in prison. And I literally wrote in my notes just like that. John the Baptist, this man who's so faithful to God, sitting in prison, probably late at night, and some executioners come marching in, they grab a sword, and John the Baptist looks up. Huh. How unfair is this? Because of the sin of Herod, an innocent man murdered. Is anybody feeling like this is quite unfair? Do you know why John was born? John the Baptist, you know why he was born? He was born and he was given a calling on his life to prepare the way for Jesus. John the Baptist's death, his execution, his beheading, it's not in vain. It's unfair, but it's not in vain. John the Baptist died because of the sin of Herod, Jesus Christ is going to die for the sin of Herod. Jesus Christ is going to die for every single one of our sins. Do you realize how absolutely unfair that is? It's completely unfair. You want to talk about unfair? God sends his son to die for my sin. There were days when I was younger that that really didn't hit me. The wonder, the beauty of that. But do you, do you hear that? Jesus Christ willingly died on the cross. For your sin. That's why, you know, I, I love this. I can get up here and talk about the ugliness of sin and the power of sin because the, because the beauty of Jesus is so much more beautiful than the ugliness of sin. Because the power of Jesus and his resurrection is so much more powerful 
than your sin and my sin. Rather, your sins and my sins. And so all of us, guys, there's going to be moments in our life where we are going to feel the conviction of sin. You want to know why? Because you're human. Anybody human in here? Even your pastor sins. Guys, before I was a pastor, I was human. Okay, so I sin too, right? Conviction of sin without confession of sin, it's going to lead to chaos. But because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for you and his resurrection and defeating of death and defeating of sin, when you confess your sin, you will find forgiveness and you will find freedom. Don't run from your sin. Run to it and find Christ. So application. Application. What do you do about this? It's real simple. When you are convicted of your sin, confess it to Jesus Christ, who is faithful and just to forgive you. And don't just go, oh, okay, Ooh, yay, I'm forgiven. Let's go, you know, do whatever I want to do. No, no, no. Let yourself live in that a little bit. Like, oh. thank you, Jesus. No wonder the cross is so bloody and gross. My sin is pretty gross. But you've, you, you've forgiven me. You've, you've saved me. You've redeemed me. Thank you. And I just want to acknowledge, I think one of the dangers of this application is we can read this and go, well, okay, I will confess my sin. And we kind of operate from, like, this is the standard of sin. Like, the standard of sin is um, sleeping with your in-law. Or the standard of sin is your stepdaughter stripping for you and you liking it. Like, this is really nasty sin. And we can go, okay, that's sin. Listen to the Holy Spirit, because I bet every single one of you in here has something going on in your heart that's sinful. And each and every one of you have a thought in your mind that's going to come across today, and it might be sinful. And I don't say that to condemn I say that to point you to Jesus Christ. When that conviction hits, confess your sin to Jesus. And let him forgive you and let him give freedom to you. Amen? So I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come up. We're going to sing a couple of songs and then we'll end with a couple of announcements we want to make you aware of. But can we just take a moment right now? You know, I think that, you know, there's something uh, about just we're embodied creatures. And, and I think there's something powerful about kind of using our bodies as, as a way of coming before Jesus. And so would you just kind of open up your hands for me? I'd open up both my hands, but I got this microphone here. Open up your hands. And would you just lay before 
any sin, whether it's a thought or something in your heart that you know is not in line with the Lord. I think we do ourselves a disservice when we say, Lord, I know that I've got pride in my life. Would you forgive me? But maybe name that area of pride. I think we do a disservice where we say, Lord, I know I got some sort of sin in my life. Would you forgive me? Rather than naming that sin specifically. And would you lay it before Jesus? And would you hear him say to you, I forgive you. I died for that sin and I paid for that sin on the cross. You are forgiven and you are loved. Find freedom in me. Just listen to Jesus whisper that to you. Father, it's a beautiful thing. It is a wonderful thing. That you love us so much that even though we've turned our backs on you, even though we continue to make mistakes, even though we fall short, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live the life we never could have lived. And then died the death we all deserve to die. All to pay the debt that our sin owes. And that you rose from the dead, conquering death, conquering sin. So that when we confess our sins and turn to you, you are faithful to forgive us and to give us freedom. Lord, we, wanna, we want to rejoice in that freedom this morning. Draw us near to you. We pray all these things and everybody said.